Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 28, to the 12th chapter, verse 8. Listen now for a word from God. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, "Mm, Look at what your disciples are doing. That is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of the Lord and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. And have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, the pre- that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But... If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The word of the Lord. Well, uh, since it's important to be forthright, uh, it always makes a preacher a little bit nervous when we talk about coming to church to rest. Um, But that is the theme for the day, so if you feel like closing your eyes, some of you have room to stretch out completely. I've heard that that's been done here other days of the week. I don't know who might have been taking a nap here, but um, it's a very restful place, I know. Uh, Let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning upon your word to us, O God, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As the front of our bulletin this morning uh, shows us, Eugene Peterson, the late uh, Princetonian and uh, longtime professor of theology and kind of an irascible character, Uh, wrote a book called The Message, which is his own translation of the New Testament and his translation of these famous words that start our second reading from Matthew this morning goes like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Or, in the more recognizable version that we use every month almost at the Lord's table, Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. 
those words amount to the invitation, not just an invitation, but the invitation of life from God to each and every one of us, to each and every one of the members of the human family. Come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest, because here you will find rest for your souls. It seems so simple. Accept the invitation, right? Just bring whatever is weighing so heavily on your mind and put it down. Let it go. But it's not simple, is it? One afternoon in one of my previous congregations, uh, I heard a knock at my office door, and when I opened it, there was this young woman, young mother, a deacon, faithful, weekly attender named Susan. Susan was one of those members of a church community you could rely on when you asked her to do something, and she said, yes, she did it. And you didn't have to ask her again or hope that maybe she'd show up. She always did. Uh, She was the kind of quiet, kind of serious young person who was a pleasure to be around and uh, tried to make her smile sometimes with jokes or things like that, and she would often roll her eyes at me. She was a great mom to her kids. Susan's husband showed up now and then as well, and everything with Susan seemed fine, which is an assumption, a pastoral assumption of mine that I regret to this day. When she came to my office that afternoon, Susan announced to me in a way that showed me that there was really no conversation or uh, input from me expected that she had decided to leave the church. She said, Pastor, I've got to resign from the church and from the deacons. I love all of it. I know you and everybody here loves me and my kids. But my past, my past decisions, my past actions from long ago are poisoning me. They won't go away. I can't forget them, and I know that I am not worthy of coming to the communion table. I know I'm not worthy to be here, and I can't be here anymore. It was heartbreaking. Something... Something from before was eating away at Susan. Something inside her was lying to her, from, in my opinion, telling her that because of whatever she once did or didn't do, she could not have the one thing she desired and wanted, which is peace and rest and a relationship with God that Harry spoke about with the children. Rest in the presence of God. I tried to find an opening. I tried to tell her and remind her and reassure her that being worthy of communion and of God really isn't a requirement. If it were, none of us could be here. But as I say, at that point, Susan wasn't asking for my opinion. She clearly had undertaken this struggle completely alone. She hadn't wanted to invite me into the part where she wasn't sure how it would turn out. She only told me when it was over. She didn't want to talk about it anymore. She was just there to inform me, and out the door she went. Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry with you heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
For I am gentle and humble at heart, and here you will find rest for your souls. Seems simple, but it's not. The well-known Episcopal author and preacher, one of my heroes, Barbara Brown Taylor, says, I know for Americans it sounds odd to speak of famine in the land of plenty or exhaustion in a land of leisure, especially when there is so much apparent evidence that God's harvest, at least for us, is as rich as ever. Perhaps there is no proof a famine exists except for the fact that people are still hungry and still tired. Everybody. In the land of plenty, in a land of recreation, the source of that hunger and that crushing fatigue can be difficult to diagnose. It is often not until we discover by process of elimination our hunger for God, our deep need for rest in God's presence. Our problem, Barbara Brown Taylor says, is not too few rations or not enough leisure opportunities, but too many. We do. We have too many choices. We always expect something better is about to come around the corner, so we don't accept the invitations that come our way especially the most important invitation of all, the one that's right in front of us. It's been in front of us the whole time. It's like one of my favorite quotes from one of my other favorite authors, Robert M. Piersig, who wrote the amazing book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. The truth knocks on the door and we say, go away, I'm looking for the truth. And so we go away, puzzling. Not too many years ago, when I thought about this passage, or preached about this passage, the question from this text in Matthew, with these famous words of invitation, uh, would have uh, led me to classify it as crucial and existentially important for people of faith, for anybody, but more theoretical, at least for most of us, especially in this part of the world, and in this part of the country, and in this part of the greater New York City area in which we live. But what is the rest that we're looking for? Back then, more than a few years ago, if you were waiting for biopsy results or going through a divorce or wondering what tomorrow's performance review at the office would bring or kind of wondering how you were going to pay for that next, make that next loan payment or if you were having a breakdown due to overwork or overstress or overscheduling, if you were weighed down individually by the heaviness of grief or depression or regret, remorse, then not long ago these words of invitation would have been what you needed, but for the rest it was more theoretical. You needed rest, you needed relief, you needed unburdening, and the rest of us who were going along our merry way and things were pretty, for whom things were pretty good could just contemplate this question on our way to the next fun thing, the next Achievement, the next thing on our calendar. We had the luxury, compared to the rest of the world especially, of putting off the question of what is the rest Jesus is offering and what is the rest we're looking for. But these days, we all could use a little rest. We could use a little rest from this pandemic business. Can I get an amen? More ups and downs than an elevator. That's a dad joke. 
I could use a rest and unburdening from all this sort of ambient, pervasive anger and partisanship around this country, around the dinner table sometimes. I'd like to take a rest from the gun violence in this country. And that's coming from someone who was raised in a house full of guns in a country where it's apparently easier for an angry young white citizen consumed by racism and self-loathing, surely, to buy guns legally and then illegally modify them than it is for a law-abiding black citizen in many states to vote. I'd like a rest from that. I wouldn't mind taking a rest from this horrific war, and I'm here. I'm sure the people of Ukraine would like to be unburdened, too. If Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, then Jesus knows that. And he invites them and us, all of us, to come to me, you who are weary and carrying with you heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Somewhere else in the New Testament, more specifically, the great discourse in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled nor let them be afraid. A close look at this section of Matthew's Gospel, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, shows that all of us hear the truth knocking at the door and say, go away, I'm looking for the truth. And so the truth, for most of us, most of the time, it goes away. All those in the verses leading up to the end of chapter 11 in Matthew who should have recognized the definitive revelation of God taking place right there in their midst with Jesus of Nazareth, the definitive revelation of God staring them in the face, talking to them in plain Aramaic, instead fail to get it. John the Baptist, according to Matthew, in the verses before our reading this morning, who even baptized Jesus, looked him face to face, put water on his head, dunked him in the river, who had heard the heavenly voice affirming Jesus as the Son of God, even John the Baptist doesn't get it. And the ones who refused to listen to the invitation from Christ because he wasn't going to meet their expectations of what a Savior should do for them, the ones who decided that he just didn't fit into their values and their vision of a Savior, they don't get it either. Most of the people in those crowds, the ones who followed him from town to town, who sat at his feet where he visited and where he healed and where he preached, they don't get it. The religious types who wear robes of polyester or various other fabrics, who could analyze the grandest or the most minute religious questions, who could talk about religion all day long, teach it, act it, they couldn't see what was being revealed right in front of their noses. They don't get it either. So who does get it? Who does get this that we're invited to experience? Who does get what is offered? The ones who know themselves, as Graham said in his invitation to our prayer of confession this morning, to be burdened the ones who know themselves to be burdened, the ones who know in their heart of hearts that they can't 
carry it all anymore, the ones who know that they haven't done it right all the time on their own, the ones, those of us who know because we've discovered that there is nowhere else to turn that I need to be in a relationship with God to live. Because that relationship and nowhere else is what salvation is. Salvation, friends, isn't heaven, some place we go later. Salvation is rest in the arms of God. Come to me, all you who, if you're being honest with yourselves, are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then Jesus adds to it, Take my yoke upon you. You know, one of those sort of harnesses that usually mean I'm pulling a very heavy burden. Take my yoke on yourself, Jesus says, and learn from me because I ironically and counterintuitively and against everything you learned in physics or science or math, even philosophy, I am gentle and humble at heart and my yoke is easy and my burden you will find contrary to your expectations, is light. And you're going to finally find what you're looking for. But in a world with so many choices and so many problems and so much that is heavy, you've got to work hard to get some rest. I am really good at exhausted rest. You know, not sitting on the couch, falling onto the couch, grabbing what in my family we call the clicker, and then binge-watching until I'm too exhausted to stand up and I stumble to bed. I'm not so good at resting intentionally and in a healthy way, and most of us aren't. In a world with so many choices, you gotta fight to rest because rest is countercultural. that kind of rest. Rest that has nothing to do with achievement, nothing to do with uh, aggrandizement or being perceived as the kind of person who has a lot of fun and travels to fancy places. Rest really is being in the presence of God and being open to whatever is coming, not living out our agendas. Rest is not what we tell ourselves we need. We tell ourselves that we need to be doing more in more exotic, interesting places, having more fun, doing more things, accomplishing more, 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 and more. And so to accept this invitation this morning, or any morning, to come with our weariness and all that's so heavy that we're carrying is to swim against the tide. It is an act of resistance. It really is. Coming to church to rest, with your eyes closed or open, which is okay either way. I remember being so tired in church, oh, I just couldn't wait for the hymns to start so at least I could stand up and kind of wake up a little bit. I get it. But coming to church, as our culture shows, is kind of countercultural at this point. You have to really make a decision to get up in the morning and come. Abraham Joshua Heschel, perhaps almost without question, the most famous Jewish theologian and philosopher of the 20th century, uh, a Polish-born American rabbi and scholar at Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City for many, many years who escaped 
Poland, and then Germany right before World War II broke out. First went to England and then came to the United States and became an American citizen. He wrote extensively about many things. He's an amazing person. But he has a whole book called The Sabbath on the Sabbath. And this idea of Sabbath, this intentional time of rest, which Jews do way better than we do, is something that he, he thought about extensively and really speaks about eloquently. Listen to what Abraham Joshua Heschel has to say about rest and how you have to fight for it. Gallantly, ceaselessly, quietly, we humans must fight for inner liberty to remain independent of the enslavement of the material world. Anyone who wants to enter the holiness of any day must first lay down the profanity of clamoring, cluttering commerce, of being yoked to toil. They must go away from the screech of dissonant days, from the nervousness and fury of acquisitiveness, and the betrayal in embezzling their own life. They must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and without their help. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth when we rest on the Sabbath or any other time in God's presence. We especially care for the seed of eternity planted in every soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. And when we finally accept the invitation to come as we are, imperfect as we are, when we finally accept the invitation to rest in God's presence, our soul comes alive.